Okay, so you're here for some great church leadership content. The podcast is great, but there's also another piece of content you need to be enjoying each week. It is the Leading Saints email newsletter. Now I get it. Email newsletters feel so 2006, you know? But it isn't as old-fashioned as you might think. It's actually one of the most popular pieces of content that Leading Saints produces. Each week, I share a unique leadership thought that can only be found in the newsletter. I keep it short and sweet. Most can read it in less than five minutes. And then we share with you recent content you might have missed, throwback episodes, and Leading Saints events that happen more often than you might anticipate. If you want to make sure you are on the email list, simply visit leadingsaints.org slash 14. That's leadingsaints.org slash 14. That will also get you 14 days access to our full library of content not available to the general public. So look for Leading Saints in your inbox by going to leadingsaints.org slash 14 or click the link in the show notes. Wednesday. And what does that mean? Well, each Wednesday we produce a podcast in our How I Lead series where we reach out to individual leaders across the world, whether they consider themselves an expert or not, and just ask them, how is it that you lead? And this has been an awesome segment that we've had going for years and years. Uh, It seems like we get great feedback from the Leading Saints audience. And so we'll continue to publish these episodes every Wednesday. And as I was uh, looking at our schedule for this this episode today on June 22nd, I noticed that uh, we were a little bit behind schedule, didn't have an episode to share. And uh, I thought, well, June 22nd is my birthday. And this is a big birthday for me, folks. I turned a big 4-0. I'm 40. Yeah, I know. I'm almost old enough to be a bishop. Can you believe it? And uh, so I thought, well, why don't I share a recent interview I did with Matt Allred, who's the host of the One Heart, One Light podcast. And uh, to me, it really sums up uh, my leadership approach or where I'm at with leadership thought and uh, perspective at this point in my life as a 40-year-old. And so I guess this How I Lead episode features me, Kurt Frankham, How I Lead, and hopefully it gives you exposure to another Latter-day Saint podcast, One Heart, One Light podcast. And uh, you can check that out as well and subscribe. They're producing some good content and sort of a newer podcast. All right. So here's this week's How I Lead interview with, well, me, Kurt Frankham. Hello and welcome to the One Heart Podcast, sponsored by One Heart, One Light. One Heart, One Light is an authentic, diverse community of men and women who have a background with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We choose to love and be loved unapologetically. At One Heart, One Light, we teach unique tools to apply Christ's atonement, and we are a bridge to becoming one with self, others, and God. As we like to say, One Heart, One Light exists to empower individuals to become one by reminding them of their wholeness. Come and be one with us. Today our guest is Kurt Frankham. Kurt is the Executive Director of Leading Saints, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. Kurt grew up in West Valley City, Utah, and served a mission in Sacramento, California. He and his wife have three children and live in Stansbury Park, Utah. Kurt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to to be able to talk to you. Um, obviously, you've been podcasting a lot longer than I have. You've <laughs> uh, you've done a number of, and certainly I haven't listened to all of your 
interviews. Yeah. Only my mom has. So you're all right. <laughs> well, at least you're loved by mom. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. I'm a mama's boy. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, but I, I have been, um, I, I guess inspired by, by the direction you're going, the people you're talking to, the, the topics you're bringing up and, and, um, you know, as we build one heart, one light and, and are trying to, to get our message out there, I really felt like a lot of the topics you're hitting are right in line. And so, um, wanted to, you know, talk to you a little bit more, get to know you a little bit. Better, yeah. I'd love so. to do it. Let's jump in. Awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> my first question, how did you get started on this journey of, you know, your lead executive director of leading saints? What, what led you there and, and into podcasting and, and getting the messages out that you, that you're sending out? Yeah. Well, when I was a five-year-old, I definitely wasn't saying I want to be a podcaster when I, when I grew up, you know, in right. 1986 or whatever it was, but, uh, it, it was a definitely interesting journey. I, I went to, I went to college at BYU, rejected me three times. Uh, my heart was broken. So I swallowed my pride and went to the university of Utah. I graduated in, in business marketing and, uh, started right out of college at, uh, young living, which is, uh, one of the many MLM companies here in, sure. in Utah. And I traveled North America and put on presentations about essential oils with all their distributors. I did that for about three years. And then, uh, I just realized quickly, um, that I was not made for a cubicle or even a, a travel job like that, where I was, you know, going different places and talking about products. I really wasn't that passionate about. And, uh, and I had a, a buddy who reached out and, uh, was starting a, a web development company. And so I went on partnered with him and we ran a web development company together for five years. Cool. And then, uh, during that time, leading saints was just sort of a passion project of mine. It was a side, uh, sort of a hobby blog that I was, uh, just enjoyed spending my free time with and blogging and, uh, you know, exploring different content. And I had been an elders corn president in my, uh, in the ward where I met my wife in the YSA ward. And, you know, this is my, this is my first leadership role. Sure. And I, I thought, you know, this, they finally got the guy who's going to actually try, this is great. Here I go. And, uh, you know, I'm going to put all my effort into it. And I did, I mean, I both, I burned the candle at both ends and spent, hours on the, you know, home teaching routes, figuring if I just get the, the combination of companionships, right. And the right the routes, right. Then it'll magically get done. And, you know, did the guilt trip lesson just made all these typical mistakes that young leaders make. And, sure. and I left that and, you know, I got engaged to my wife. We moved out of the ward and I left that calling just sort of discouraged. I thought, man, that, what was the point of that? I tried really hard, but it, you know, the move, the needle didn't even move. I think it got worse with me at the helm, you know, and I was really discouraged by it, but Hey, it was over moved on. Uh, we then moved into a ward a year or so later with my wife and served in the bishopric for, for a few years. And then that Bishop got released and I was called as the high priest group leader. And I thought, man, here I go again. I'm the quote unquote leader of this group. And you know, why, what am I going to even try? Like the, the, nothing works. Let's just show up on Sunday, mail it in and, and, <laughs> I'll we'll go home to our, our Sunday naps <laughs> or whatever, you know, but, uh, I, I could walk into bookstores and there'd be bookshelves full of life leadership, business leadership, all this research about leadership, but nobody was talking about the best practices of leadership in the context of our Latter-day Saint leadership tradition, True. you know, how to run a meeting, how to help people overcome pornography, how to, how to create a brotherhood, how to, how to connect with men, how to, you know, lead women or whatever it is. And, and so I thought maybe I'll create a platform to, 
unite these worlds. And, you know, I'm not no leadership expert, but maybe I can find the expert to bring on and talk to them or, or write a, a blog. And it started out as a blog for a few years. And then 2014, uh, the podcast started and that's sort of when it got some good traction and just kept interviewing interesting people and everyday leaders and, you know, learning about what the other guy did. And, um, from that, I had various other leadership, uh, experiences and callings that, you know, that sort of became, I gained new perspective and understanding of some of the daunting tasks that leaders face in our, in church. And, and so I wanted to go out and find better, better answers, better sure. approaches, a better understanding of what's happening so that we can be better prepared to lead when we're asked to lead. And, you know, as, as you know, we don't fill out applications for these roles and, and, and they don't pay, you know, awesome. I'm sure they pay in blessings, I guess you could say, but uh, you know, there's uh, these are daunting, daunting roles. So uh, just from then 2016, we became a nonprofit organization and then uh, just been grown since then. And now we're, I think we just passed 9 million downloads on wow. the, the podcast and it just keeps, you know, half a million downloads a month. It's just, I'm just, I, I thought we'd plateau long before this, and but I'm just so encouraged by, you know, the desire. There's such a, such an interest out there of, sure. of individuals who just want to know, you know, what, what, what's some a different way of looking at this or, you know, what, how can we approach elders corn better relief society or what, what is sacrament meeting all about? And, you know, what, what's tradition, what's doctrine, what's, what's, what's the handbook say. And then how can we create an experience that people are just, overly engaged to come to and experience every week that they can't wait for it to come, come back the next week. And I, and I think there are those types of answers. So, um, then, you know, in 2016 is when this became a full-time job. I, I left that web development company and, uh, leading saints was full-time and it's been going gangbusters ever since. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, I can totally agree with, with, you know, the idea that, uh, or the, just the thought that, you know, we get, we get called in and, and, I've done much the same thinking, Oh yeah, I'm going to knock the ball out of the park. And I get, I get knocked out of the park thinking what the heck happened? Why, why did none of that work? And um, certainly there are some best practices out there. We read them out in the, about them in the scriptures and it's like, okay, I'm still, I'm still missing something. So yeah. um, I, I think it's great. And I'm, I'm curious, what would you say is kind of the single greatest thing you've learned in the process of trying to build leadership and share best practices and creating meaningful conversations yeah. You know, it, I think it just comes back to learning how to connect from one-to-one with, you know, or connect with an individual as a leader. You know, I think back in my time, I, I was uh, the high priest group leader and there's this, uh, he was actually on my home teaching route. This, his name was Rob. He just passed away a couple of years ago and I, I really connected with him, went to his home and and he was just like, we became friends. Like I just that sitting down, not to get the you know, part of it, sure. was part, you know, get the, the home teaching done for the month or whatever, sure. but, uh, I got to know him and he wasn't that active each week in coming to the church. And then when it came time where I became the Bishop of that ward, he, he was just like my super fan. Like he, like, that's my Bishop. Like that's my friend, you know? And, and we just carried on that relationship even long past since I left that, left that, uh, area and that connection of, of really when somebody, can feel like my leader knows me and, and they've taken the time to sit with me, to hear, hear the, the struggles I have in life, not because they have the answers or whatnot. Um, and so that's actually a big, 
<laughs> controversial. I, I, I'm also, I'm full of all, all sorts of uh, controversy, Matt. So you, you'll say things it. that get you a lot of hate mail or, or get me more emails, whatever. But, <laughs> sure. but I, I, I say it a little bit to be prov- provocative and, and I want people to sit with it and think about it. But for example, now we're in the, the ministering world and uh, I had the opportunity when they you know, combine the elders quorum and the high priest group. I was, I was called as the elders quorum president in the word I was in at that time. And I did nothing else. Like I, I walked into that role and I said, this is what I'm, I'm going to connect with every single one of these men. And not just like the superficial, Hey, how you doing? How's your job? Like, I'm really going to, to get to know these, these men. And so I told my presidency, I said, I'm going to do nothing else but meet, do the, the, the ministering interviews. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else I'm going to do. And, you know, I gave one council, like you're in charge of Sunday meetings, just cool. make that happen. The other council, you're in charge of making sure that, you know, all the administration of the ministry, make sure people have, you know, everybody's assigned, they have companions. And it is my deep conviction when anybody comes to me and they, I get a lot of these emails or a lot of these interactions where they're just so frustrated with ministering, like, why won't my people do this? And, you know, I, I give them the, the assignment and we, you know, I do all the things but then they just don't minister. And it's so easy. I mean, it's it, how hard can it be? Right. Sure. I just feel this frustration from leaders. And I say, listen, this is what you do. Do nothing else, but ministering interviews. Oh, well I do that. You know, we, we break it up between me and my council. Like, no, 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 no. You, you got to hear me right here. You as the president of this organization do nothing else. And I mean, nothing else, but ministering interviews. And I did that. And what happened is I think there were I don't know, I'd say 60 or so elders in my quorum at that time. And, and by the book, the handbook, you only have to do ministering interviews. I think once every, every three months Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And I would get to about six weeks and I would have them all, you know, I, I did my duty as the elders quorum president for that quarter. So I just start right on over. So I was meeting with every elder for about six, you know, once every six weeks and and the, the connection that's built there. And, and I did the same thing as a high priest group leader, you know, when I was exploring this, this world of leadership and just to have, you know, men that were twice my age come to me just with heartbreak and share how they're not connecting with their adult kids. Or I had one gentleman just say, I just struggle with tithing, you know, and just some of these things that don't come out in these superficial interactions. And so going back to your, the question started this, uh, this rant here, uh, the, the, if there's anything a leader can do is master the skill of connecting with those that you lead on, on such a personal basis. And if there's too many people, well, maybe you need to look at that of <laughs> maybe your ward needs to be split or your, your elders quorum needs to be split or whatever it is, but um, learning c- to connect person to person, soul to soul, that clears up so much of the little nuances of leadership that, that pester us. So tell me about that, because honestly, the next question is, what have you learned about vulnerability? But when I, when I hear you say master connection, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're obviously going to questions that are, like you said, beyond where do you work and what do you do? And what kind of hot rods do you like to race? And I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, that's kind of the transactional superficial. What do you do to truly connect? Yeah. To, to get somebody to open up and say, gosh, my, yeah, I'm struggling with my kids or my wife or my, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, have this problem yeah. or that. Yeah. I think the basis of that one, you know, going back to just the, uh, the cadence of a, you know, ministering interview, one-to-one interview, it's just going to take a few rounds, right? Maybe it's going to feel a little awkward, superficial about, you know, three or four times, you know, okay. those, those first three or four interviews. And then you start 
you know, that there, there's this, this, uh, this trust that builds naturally, like, wow, this guy is coming to my home four times in a row. And he's really asking some questions about me and digging in. And, and it may start with, uh, you know, I remember being a preschool advisor and, and I looked over at one of my priests sitting next to me and he was scrolling through the Dallas Cowboys, uh, football scores, sure. you know, now I could have said, Hey, listen, buddy, you should put that phone away. We're in preschool here when, you know, but instead I said, Hey, you, you Cowboys guy, like, what do you think? How they looking this year? Right. And we started a very, can be very superficial, you know, talk about your sports team, but he was like, Oh, this guy is actually trying to understand me and my likes and whatnot, whether he's thinking that consciously or not. Uh, and, and then it goes from there. But generally speaking, like if I think back, if I was to be like an elders corn president, again, I would focus heavily on, on story. And, and this is sort of maybe where I default, you know, every, if you're a hammer, you see every problem is an L I you know, I produce a podcast for a living. I do a, I've done six, 700 interviews. And so it's sort of my thing. Right. But sure. there's something about sitting down with somebody and just saying like, tell me your story. And so starting in elders quorum saying, Hey, you know, brother Jones over there. Yeah. He's got the, he's got the elder Ballard talk. You know, we're going to get to that. It's going to great. He's got some quotes that are, are fire. It's going to be awesome. But I just want to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Maybe I got, you know, brother, brother, uh, Smith here. And it, it, can I just like pepper you some questions and, and just ask you and, and what I see a lot that sometimes we do the get to know you thing where, True. all right, uh, Steve go up front. Like we're not, what's your favorite movie, man? Like, you know, do you golf or not? Right. And that that's fun. But to sit down with somebody and say like, tell me about your faith development. Like True. as a teenager, was it like, mission or bust or like, did you serve a mission? Like, no, I didn't serve a mission. Well, that's, tell me about that. Like, was there pressure there to serve a mission? How did you get through that? So why are you showing up here today? If you haven't served a mission, you know, like, <laughs> and then people start to think like, you, you know, you give people an opportunity to tell their story. I really believe like we are built to tell story. Like we want to share those parts of us, sure, but we just don't have the safety to do. And, and I, I was in a, a workshop a few weeks ago with, with, it was actually for therapists, but I'm a geek when it comes to these things. So I went to this, this uh, workshop and the guy said, there's no such thing as resistance, only unsafety. And so if, if you're having a hard time getting people to make comments or to tell their story or to get vulnerable in, whether it's an elders quorum, a sacra meeting or a relief society, it's not because they're trying to be resistant. Something you're doing, whether it's your fault or not, or something about the atmosphere is creating unsafety. Um, and once that's cleared up, everybody will step forward. Right. And so to get in this cadence of like sharing story in a, in a quorum meeting, for example, and just like saying, yeah, I, I know we got to get to the lesson. We'll get there. Um, and one of the greatest advice a great mentor told me long ago is never let an elders, uh, elders core meeting be just another Sunday school class. Bless sure. you, Sunday school. You, you have your place, your role. And that's not, <laughs> I'm not disparaging that organization, but oftentimes it's easy to get now. All right, we're here. Any announcements? Uh, okay. The Joneses are moving on, on Wednesday. We'll be there. Okay. Uh, let, all right, brother Smith, let's do the lesson, right? Like pushing through that cadence and saying, actually, we're going to take some time. We're going to create some space here to hear this brother's story. And it may not be, you know, maybe it's not crazy, but suddenly they'll say something of like, well, yeah, you know, I was, uh, I was adopted and, and my parents, moved. Wait, wait, you said you were adopted. Like, 
Man, that probably created some dynamics in your, in your life. What, what was, what was that about? How did that impact your faith? Right. You'll see these, like, they'll give these glimpses of, of a wormhole in their life that really has some treasure buried there. And sure. as you get people talking and tearing those stories, then when you get to president Ballard's talk and you know, there's some quotes, people are like, man, Hey, there's, there's brother Spenlove. I've heard his story. There's brother Christians, man. I know his story. I let's get real here, brothers. Like I know, I know you guys, you guys are my brothers because I've heard your story. And it all starts with that leader taking the time to create the space to hear each other's story. And that's where it begins. Absolutely. Do you, do you find that you have to lead with some vulnerability yourself and kind of tell your story to to open up others? Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is so powerful. And and I've, for some reason, I, I have this group of therapy therapist friends and i'm not a therapist i have this group of addict friends and i'm not a recovering addict or anything but uh as i've spent more and more time with recovering addicts i've just been so amazed at, at that vulnerability when they get to this place of i don't care who knows my story or what they think sure. of me when it's they power. hear my story yeah. yeah and i remember being that that bishop where somebody's like hey bishop let's just let's get this handled i've done some things but Let's, uh, you know, keep this bond between you and me. And I don't want anybody to know about this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm not here to push you one way, but I also know this, this good person has a long road to go before they're really in that recovery where you're just, you just surrender it all and think, I don't care who knows. And so, um, to be in that frame of mind of just, um, and, and we start having these weird dynamics and cultures of like the, you know, we use these terms like the overshare or like, I don't think that's appropriate for you to share as the elders quorum president, or as the bishop. And well, why not? Like right. what? Because then we create these perceptions that like, actually the bishop has like followed these rules and he's, he's figured it out more than I have. And that's why he's, that's why the, he's bishop. the bishop. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Which is, is not true. And, and, and fortunately it is true to some extent where, and unfortunately, there are some things that people can do that can almost disqualify them, un, you know, unofficially from these roles. And it breaks my heart because I have these addict friends, some who've actually lost their membership in the church. And I look at them like you would be the f- most phenomenal bishop I've ever, I, I could sure. ever experience. Right. And so, um, anyways, it's just like stepping forward. And again, it's in this, you set this system of like creating space to hear people's stories and then the safety fills the room to a point of like, I want to share my story, right? And I did this once with, uh, I'm the youngest of, of four kids. I have two older brothers and, uh, and an older sister. All three of my brothers, they were all three of the boys, including myself, all three of the boys um, served as bishop at the same time. Wow. And now those two other brothers, they're actually both serving as a stake president at the same time. Wow. Now, imagine being a 14 to 15 year old in this family where you think my dad's a stake president, my uncle's a stake president, my uncle's been a bishop. Like you begin, I, I, my worry that you begin to create these perception of like you, if you haven't been a bishop or if you don't become a bishop, like there's something wrong with you. Right. right. And so we, you know, we do this. A lot of families do they, We get together at my mom, my parents' house and, and uh, have dinner on Sundays. And then once a month we have our, our family home evening, someone prepares a lesson and whatnot. So I prepared this lesson once and I, just took this time to tell the story about when I was 16 years old and I had to set an appointment with the Bishop several times and go in there and confess some things that I had done and, 
you know, struggles I've had. And you could almost feel the shift in energy. We're like, wait, I'm a sure minute. you could <laughs> uncle Kurt. Wait a minute. Like he struggled with what I struggle with. Like it was just so impactful. So the more you can do that. And again, it's not like, I don't know. I just, I feel like we're, we've gone too far with this, the overshare. Or I don't think that's appropriate or don't share past transgressions. Like, are you kidding me? Like share the past transgression because that also shares the past redemption that we've had in our life. And it's that the power of redemption that will keep people coming back and, and find healing in these, in these groups that we're part of. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and I have seen at times somebody who quote overshares it, it coming from a place of, of defensive neediness and, and mm-hmm. kind of proving, Oh, you, you reject me because I over, you know, it's almost like this, yeah. you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. However, some of the most powerful people I've seen to your point are, the yeah. recovering addicts who are like, I don't care. I, mm-hmm. I don't care what you think. I don't care anything about what you guys, you know, because yeah. I'm me and I'm here and I'm good with me. And, and right. that to me is so powerful. The once we can get to that point of, I love me and, and it doesn't matter what you guys think about me. Cause I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm me. You know, I think one of the greatest examples Christ set for us is after his resurrection, he shared his scars Sure, and you know, there's all sorts of theories and, doctrinal perspectives about why Christ retained his scars after the resurrection and and whatnot. But, um, you know, the sinless being, this resurrected being, I think needed to show us that it is important for him to share his scars. So that's important for us to share our own scars. I love that. I love that. And I hadn't thought of it in, in that exact context, but, but you know, it's ether 12, 12, 27 comes to mind all the time that if you want to come unto me, you have to see your weakness and yeah. it's only mm-hmm. in seeing your weakness that it can even become strong. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself, you know, for the first 40 plus years of my life, I was trying to become perfect without having to show any scars without having yeah. to, to really see the dirt. And the last few years, as I've looked deeper and been humbled by what I've seen. And it's, um, it's, I, I think it's really opened me up to, to be less judgmental and a lot more loving of those who struggle. Cause I can see that, you know what, if I grew up in your house, I would have done the same thing. I would, <laughs> I would have followed the exact same path that yeah. you did. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're just, there's, there is a tradition and effort of this sort of certain kind of earning it. Like we've sort of had this weird relationship with grace. I call it, we, we put butts on our grace. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's true that we're saved by grace, but you know, like, no, 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 let's get rid of the, butt. like we are actually saved by grace and I'm a deeply broken individual, even though I haven't struggled with pornography my whole life or had an alcohol, you know, issue sure. or, or whatever. Like I'm still a deeply broken person. If I can't figure out why I need Christ today. Like, what does it matter why I need him in eternity then? Like we have to figure out why we're broken today and, and share that and reach healing. Because if we think we don't need healing, man, I can't imagine, you know, being in the line to, you know, as we learn in third Nephi, being in that line when Christ is beginning to heal people and you get up to the front of the line and Christ is like, how can I heal you? And I said, Oh no, I, I'm good. I'm good. Like <laughs> you focus on the handicapped people. I'm just, I just want to meet you, man. Like you're, thank you. You, you know, you're awesome. Autograph. But like, if you can't articulate to the savior, how you're broken, like what's the point of have you having a savior, you know, sure. and, and, and you can't earn it or you can't do everything 
you know, heal yourself until you, until you get to the savior and say, guess what, buddy? Like, you don't have to worry about me. I fixed me. Like, no, that's not how this works. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. And, and yeah, we we're all broken. And in fact, a lot of times I've lamented sometimes out loud, sometimes silently that, that in our, um, you know, addiction recovery, that it's, that it's kind of, you know, it's like on a Thursday night and nobody's at the church and no one knows know. your name. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> we need to bring this right into elders quorum because you know, what, what we call an addiction is really just natural man. And I could mm-hmm. easily say, mm-hmm. you know what, my name's Matt. I'm a natural man and I struggle with X, Y, Z. And it, you know, it, I think we get a little too hung up on at times on, well, well, this is going to keep you out of the temple and this is not therefore, you know, that there's some shame associated with that. And, you know, you're okay. Cause you're not addicted like that. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's so interesting. You bring that up. I actually went, I've been in this, this ward I'm currently in for just over a year. And I don't know, about nine months ago, I thought, you know, I need to, I would love to know what's going on in my stake related to the addiction recovery program. And so, you know, you go online, you can look it up. And I found the the meeting time It's actually Friday nights at seven. Like, I don't know. Sounds like okay, that's not an ideal time in my opinion, but again, I'm not <laughs> whatever. Uh, and so I set a reminder on my phone every Friday, like during the day, it'll say, Hey, that addiction recovery program is tonight. And it's so interesting to see the, the process happening. And so, I mean, I don't, I, you know, you know, I, I'm trying to be vulnerable. I don't have an active addiction of any type that I, I would necessarily quote unquote need that meeting for what a lot of us think it's for, but I thought, you know, I'm going to go. And I feel like, you know, the more I can be, aware of it in my area, the more maybe I can help people or, you know, offer brotherhood to others and whatnot. And every week it's like, I've never made it. Like it's been nine months and it's just like, okay, what, but what if I walk in there? Like, what, who am I going to meet? What are they going to think of me? Like, and I don't mind necessarily what they think of me, but I, anyway, it's Friday night. You know what? I got, I'm going to be home with the family or got date night or whatever. There's so many reasons not to, but it's interesting to see that. I challenge everybody listening to try that. Just, just look up when your addiction recovery meeting is in your, your area, set a reminder on your phone and see if you can, and just go once, see if you can go once, even if you have an active addiction or not. And, uh, and I think that says a lot of, and I, I don't know, it, it's interesting experience because it's, you learn a lot about, uh, about that, about yourself, just, just going through that. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, I appreciate that. In fact, I was, I can't remember who I was talking to one of the directors over the program. And, and I, I it was a year or two ago and I said, Hey, can I, I, I want to go. She's like, no, no, you, you can't go. You're, you're the Bishop. You can't go to that. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, you can, you can dial into somebody else's right. Dial into to some yeah. other state, you know, so it has to be anonymous, but to your point, I think there's value. And I don't know, I'm not saying I know how to do it, but there's right. immense value in just being real, being vulnerable, mm-hmm. being open. Mm-hmm. And w- once we see our stuff, then it's like, how can we judge? How can I judge? I can't. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. So, um, and I think we're kind of getting to this even with, as we talk, but what does it mean to you to bear one another's burdens in, in the gospel context? You know, too often I, I think it's, Oh, we're going to move the furniture or move a, a piano for so-and-so, but that's not the way I see it. Just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, this is uh, you know, we always want to give the hand up, right. And we want to be on higher ground so that we can help the downtrodden person. It, you know, when, when it's, it's when the neighbor gets cancer that man, you just can't wait to take the casserole over. You can't get engaged. You can't wait to get engaged in, in, in service. And, but it's when you get cancer 
when you think, you know what, I don't want to be a project, you know, I don't, I don't want to put an extra burden on people. So I'll just keep this to myself, um, and, and suffer through. And obviously that's a dramatic example, maybe of, of <laughs> health condition like cancer, but, um, it's easy to give the hand up and, and it's another thing to just offer, like, just to be present with them. And sure. I've been trying this slightly sort of a exercise of, you know, you hear on, you'll see on social media, or maybe someone mentions at church or, you know, that a family's just, you know, maybe they've had a really sick child in the hospital or whatnot. And we naturally we say, Hey man, I'm praying for you. I will keep you in my prayers. And that's, that's fine. Not that that's a bad thing to say. And I still say it to some degree, I guess, but there's this feeling of like, I'm going to go, I'm going to do something to, to get this to go away. And, and we almost use that as on a level of superstition. Like if I just pray enough for you, then like, then we'll, we'll convince God together right. to, to get the, rid of this. But instead of, of saying that, I've been trying to force myself to say, I just had a good friend, uh, had a daughter getting a serious car accident, broke her pelvis. And mm. I mean, it was, it was a close call, um, newly wed, beautiful girl. And, and mm. I just left him a message. I gave him a call and I left him a message. I, I said, Hey, you know, of course I'm going to be praying for you, but I just hope that this experience takes you to the cross of Jesus. Like I just hope in some way that you find Jesus in a new way in this and that he offers healing in a way that you could have never expected. Right. Like I, and, and it sort of brings this posture of, I'm just, I just want to sit with you in sure. this. I don't want to fix it. I mean, I'd love to fix that, but I realize I can't just wave a magic wand and fix it. But I want you to know, like, you just have this, you have people sitting with you in it. Right. And so bearing one another's burdens is you sit with them. If, if someone's struggling with a doubt, like, well, you know, let, let me give you four articles and, and five scriptures that, that this will make it go away. Like, man, like I can see that, like, if, sure. if I was in your shoes, I would imagine that I would be a mess. Like there's nothing wrong with what you're experiencing or going through. I just want to, I just want to be with you in it. What have you thought about? Like, tell me about this experience. What have you gone through right now? We're in that we're shifting into this. Tell me your story. I love that. What, what is it? You're right. Sure. And it's in that story where that redemption happens, that healing happens. I don't know how it happens. I mean, obviously the, the atonement and grace of Jesus Christ is quite complicated, but it almost creates a space where it's like, I am being seen. Right. Sure. Uh, I, I interviewed one, uh, as mine, his name, uh, leaves my mind at this point, but he talked about the, the dynamic of, of Adam, and, and God, right. When Adam ate the fruit and hid, and then God came down and said, Adam, where are you? Like, that's such a powerful question of anybody suffering or going through a difficult time, whether it's their fault that they ate the fruit or the cancer just found them or the, the tragedy, you know, uh, popped up in their life. Well, especially because where are you? Right. Adam's story at the time was God doesn't want to see me. Right. Exactly. There's this shame associated with, Oh my gosh. He doesn't yeah. want me. And God's saying, dude, where are you? Of course I want you. Mm-hmm. And so we could, we could talk about that for hours, just that yeah. little piece right there because. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it, a lot of it is connected to shame, which I believe is the, the adversary's most powerful tool and which he uses the most often is if he can convince us of a false identity, we'll, we often buy into it. And for someone to just say, just tell me your story. It just has this de shaming, de stigmatizing force to it that just removes it all and said, wow, I feel this acceptance. If, if, you know, 
you know, if, if this person, if, if Matt can, if Matt can accept me, maybe Jesus can accept me. And so I'm going to start with being accepted by Matt sure. and then maybe Jesus will accept me. And what they find out is he's always accepted that, right? He's always there. Well, yeah. You know. now, and honestly, you know, as you talk about that, I remember going to a men's retreat. It was three or four years ago. It was the first time I'd been. And there was an exercise where we actively kind of shared our story and the person said nothing until the very end. And they would just say, I hear you. And yeah. honestly, I bawled my eyes out. Why? Yeah. Because it was the first time I felt like I had really, really been listened to. First yeah. time anybody had wanted to hear my story without saying, oh, let me tell you about my story. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. it blew me away <laughs> just how, how much that, you know, and I, I can't yeah. even describe it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Funny. These are, these are so these situations are tough at times because we do want to shift in like, Oh, I got a brother's cousin's wife's uncle that he did. He went through this too. And man, let me, he went, saw this doctor and, it, and, but people like, they don't want the solution. They just want to be seen. Right. And so sure. it really is, you know, just saying, where are you? Like, tell me your story. Like, wow, I just want to sit here with you. I don't know what to say. Like that, even that's a powerful thing. I don't know what to say. Sure. I just want to be here with you. Like, right game over. Like you'd love, they, they will love you forever. That's awesome. And I love, I mean, obviously there's a lot of validation. There's a lot of things that, that are all encompassed in that, but what came, comes to mind is there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not sitting there pointing at your tattoo going, Oh my gosh, dude, why, why, why would you do that? Right. It's yeah. like, and I've heard, I've heard people say, I don't remember, I can't quote them that, that all behavior makes sense in context, right? That if, if, I had been through your journey. I probably had the exact same too, tattoo, right? I, yeah. It, yep. Your your behavior makes sense in context. And I think that's what the story gives is here's the context. Here's the path I've walked. Yeah. There's no powerful. judgment. Yeah. No judgment. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for, um, yeah. And I, I like the way you brought up that bearing one another's burdens is just being, being present. It's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to walk this journey together. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just here. It's not about me waving a magic wand or I'm just, I'm here with you. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to another part of this question is like, well, what about, you know, the moves, the service opportunities? I mean, yeah, those will come. Right. But they are sort of empty without this foundation of like, you know, Matt's coming over to help me move, but I've had so many interactions where I've been seen by him. And mm -hmm. this is so cool that he's helping me. Right. Like, it's not, we, we sort of hope that, oh, if we help that less active or that new family move, then they'll see that we love, they love, we love them. And then they'll show up on Sundays, but it, it won't work. <laughs> like it, I mean, it's great. And sure we should, should serve and they'll be appreciative, but it does not have the, the long-term capacity to, to draw them into the gospel, to be seen by the savior more fully there. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, so what would you say? And I've heard some of your podcasts address this, but what's, what's the value of, of brotherhood? And, mm -hmm. and, and I say that just knowing for myself for the first 40 plus years of my life, I didn't think I needed brotherhood. I didn't need mm -hmm. friends partly because I, I felt like, you know, I'd had some friends that didn't you know, maybe weren't, weren't the kind of friends I wanted at the time. But, um, you know, I, I kind of a few years ago was, was really isolated and lonely and depressed and, what do you see in, in your experience? Yeah. You know, brotherhood is such an interesting experience for men because you're right. It sort of fades away the older we get, um, you know, the new stages of life we go into, but if we go back to the beginning of when we were 
you know, just hooligans running around the neighborhood as, as seven, eight, nine year old boys. Like we, we all had a tribe, True. you know, we all, there's that naturally we form a tribe. I see my, my seven-year-old going through this as well in, in, in the neighborhood we live in. But I mean, my tribe was, was John, John, it was Rob, it was Craig BJ, like on ev- any given summer night at 10 o'clock, we were out doing something just a little off and maybe that we wouldn't fully <laughs> divulge to our family. Right. But, but there was this healing nature of like, I've got a tribe of brothers. I, maybe as a young boy, we don't know what to do with it, but sure. it's like in our nature, it's like God inserted this into our DNA. And so naturally we did it as, as children. But then as we get older, you know, we go through these, you know, you go to college, you may, you know, we all went in separate directions at college. And so, but our heart is always longing for a tribe and then you get married and then you hear messages of like, uh, you know, no failure in the, at home can comp- be compensated for, you know, whatever it is. And David <laughs> O'McKay did not say that he was quoting someone else. Anyways, I always take that opportunity because people think it's David O'McKay squads. Right. But anyways, you know, and, and so we get hyper-focused on the family, right. But we, we don't know. It, there's so many dynamics there. I mean, the whole, uh, you know, husband, wife relationship, that's a podcast for another time, but we get hyper-focused there. We feel like oh, what I need to do is go to the little league games and, you know, I got to be home. I got to do that, that garden thing, uh, build the garden boxes for my wife. And I got to do that. I got to be present and we go to church and we hear that, like, you know, the, the family, family, and then we get teenagers and it just magnifies all that. Cause now they're struggling with real problems and and we lose this part of our, our heart of, we actually need brotherhood. And there is a hole in all of our hearts as men that can only be filled with brotherhood. We often try and feel that by, you know, having a really good marriage, or maybe we, you know, we've been asked to, to serve in, in our church. And so we like try and prove to ourselves that our hearts whole by how good we do in these callings. But at the end of the day, like our heart needs brotherhood. We need to like we need that moment in the woods where you think, I can't believe we're doing this. Like I'm a 40 year old. Why should I No, Like this is the, the inner, your inner soul that is being healed by this brotherhood by doing the hunting trips, the camping trips, the canoe trips, the, the fishing and all these things. And, and there's so much shame to that. And, and that's again, what people need to work out, but you know, there's that, you know, I've got, I, my wife would never, no, you don't understand. My wife would never let me do those things. Well, that's something that's got to be addressed. You got to push through sure, that sure. and say, if you want a whole man, I got to be out in that river at least at once every six weeks. And I need to take bill and Stan and, and we got to connect, you know, with that, with that experience, or we will constantly seeking something. And then you wonder like, and I keep getting drawn back to this porn or like I'm working late nights and I sort of hate my marriage. And we wonder like, where did I go wrong? Well, part of it, I'm not saying that's a whole problem, but part of it is you lost your brotherhood somewhere. You, you didn't create the space and the time to really connect with men. Like, Oh, but I go to elders quorum every other week. Yeah. That's not working for you. I promise you, <laughs> you know, and, and plus, I mean, I have all the respect in the world for elders quorum and, and, but our, our, faith community, our church is going through a transition right now where we've gone from every week was elders quorum. Now it's every other week. And I just, for my opinion is that's not enough. Sure. And, and nor is it the church's job for, for them to serve you brotherhood on a platter and say, here it is. You don't have to worry about it. There's more we need to be doing. And, and the, the once a year pizza party, uh, the elders quorum is not, is not it right. You've got to really say, what were you doing as a, 
seven, eight, nine-year-old, did you enjoy the fishing? Did you enjoy the hiking? Did you, uh, you know, what about the, the, the video game parties? I don't know, whatever you do, like you need brotherhood or, uh, you'll, you'll rot inside. Sure. No, absolutely. And I, and I feel like I learned that the hard way. Um, and I can't even remember the exact reference. There's a scripture. I think it's in Proverbs that, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens his brother, something like that. that yeah. Yeah. That, uh, and I, I, a lot of times I'll lament that, you know, I think in modern society, we've lost what I would call the community. You know, I, I don't, I can't just walk across the field and say, Kurt, Hey, my, my cow's in the mire again. Can you please help me pull yeah. it out? You know, and, and just have those opportunities <laughs> to rub shoulders and, you know, you go this way and I go that way. And we never see each other except maybe once a week. And I put on my church face and Hey, everything's good. <laughs> I'm glad it's good with you. See you in a week. And yep. there's zero connection. In fact, I, a good friend of mine was an elders quorum president and we were just talking about, you know, getting activities. He's like, I, I can't, nobody will show up. They've got nothing to connect on. They've got mm-hmm. nothing, no, no reason to come. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, th- th- this is a gospel that was built on <laughs> brotherhood that we you know, yeah. march across the plains and baptize Indians and go over to England. And we've lost so much of that, that it's just yeah. hard to, to draw on it anymore. Unless we yeah. go to, like you say, out and, and build it, we have to be yeah. intentional about it. Yeah. And one shift I've done personally, and, and, you know, I'm just always experimenting with these things is I, I, if you really sit down and look at your, your Sunday worship experience, uh, you know, a ton of tradition there with, you know, good and bad, whatever, you know, I, and I can't imagine a Sunday where I don't wake up and just go to church. It's just what I've always done. It's just in my nature. It's what I do. And, and now why do I go to church? Now, obviously there's the doctrine answers. I, you know, want to renew my covenants to take of the sacrament. That's like what, 10, 15 minutes, right? Like sure. there's a whole other, uh, you know, one and a half hours to go. So why do I go? Like, do I go for the awesome Sunday school lesson? Like, you know, we got some pretty good Sunday school teachers in my ward, but I don't walk away like, whoa, that was like, I've got all sorts of notes and things to consider and sacrament meeting. Like the talks are great. Yeah. I hear the announcements and great and activities coming up. So I've sort of shifted when I walk into church, I'm there for my, my mission. After I take the sacrament, my number one mission is community. And sure. I'm just, you know, sitting down, I'm trying to sit down next to somebody different. And believe me, I'm an introvert. Like I come home exhausted from church. Like I just need to take a nap. Like that was more than I wanted to do, but, and, and we're in a growing area. So they're about to split our war. There's just new families moving in all the time. And I'm just trying to connect with people. Hey, what's your name? Like, Hey, how's, you know, one guy's a school principal you're almost done with the school year. How's that going? Right. And and I, you know, I'm not the weirdo per se, maybe I am, but, uh, <laughs> I haven't heard rumor anyways, but <laughs> I, but I, I move into that, into that Sunday worship experience of, yeah, sure. I'm here to renew some covenants and, and, you know, attend church, but I'm here to build community because that is, that is what will draw people back here. That's what will get them to stay a little longer in the pew and in the, the hard chair and elders quorum so that maybe they'll have an experience of sure. with Jesus where they need, they need that redemption. And I can't offer that redemption. That's not my job, but I can offer them community. And at the end of the day, I think that's primarily why people come. And I don't know if they always get the community that they're looking for and they can easily stop coming and online with this connected world, they can find community elsewhere pretty easy. And so we got to make sure we really hit the community angle as we attend church. Totally agree. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, two, two more questions for you. One is, what would you say is the the vision of what you're creating? How would you describe that? Yeah. You know, uh, that's something I'm sort of figuring out. 
uh, more currently, because I always sort of the, where we are currently is what I sort of envisioned having this, you know, this dynamic platform that could really create some cool content that people find valuable and, and we're there. Um, I think going forward, it, it is sort of this, um, and, and I don't know if I get too much into this, but I think a lot of lay members of the church don't realize the various dynamics happening outside of the church. Obviously you have the church, the organization, you know, run by priesthood keys and, and many departments and organizations, and they create handbooks and lesson manuals, and that's all great. But there's certain things that that organization just can't do as quickly as other organizations, right? Um, Just because they're a large organization, it's harder to turn that, you know, that ship as opposed to a little tugboat. And so there's these third-party organizations like uh, Book of Mormon Central, there's uh, FAIR, there's uh, North Star, uh, I could go on and on and leading saints is in that group of people. And, you know, they all have their focus, you know, the, whether it's the book of Mormon or, uh, apologetic content and church history or whatever it is. And so we just want to be a more and more valuable resource to our faith community in all things leadership. So if that, then <laughs> you've probably been that Bishop too, where that person walks in, you, you, you have a list of names of their appointments and you don't know what they're going to come and drop on your desk but you got to be ready. You know, you don't sure. say the wrong thing or this could go really bad, right? Like that's the pressure you feel. And so if somebody, a discouraged Bishop or elders quorum presidents walking out of elders quorum thinking, man, why can't that nothing's happening? What's maybe they can go and find a resource that'll spark some inspiration and they can try something or hear what the other guy's doing. And so I think our long term is, you know, we want to create more and more forms of content. Uh, you know, we're in this next year, we're getting into a lot of tours, you know, uh, retreats like, cool. like you guys do. Um, and the more we can offer these experiences that maybe aren't quote unquote church sanctioned, but still valuable. I think we can develop a deeper sense of Zion and community and, and then move this forward. Like Christ said that the kingdom of God is in you. Like sure. it's not necessarily some organization with departments and big buildings. When I mean, oh, that's sort of necessary for our church, but the kingdom of God is in you. And so whether you're in that calling or in that organization, that kind of influence, you can have influence. And so the more we can do, just come together and, and create experiences and perspectives and uh, redemptive redemption offering, uh, you know, whatever it is, I think that's the better it is. So I, I've kind of dodged your question, but that's sort of the direction we're, we're No, heading. I love it. I love it. And, and honestly, you kind of led into the, to the last question I want to ask you, which is, um, cause you talked about creating Zion. And my, my question is, you know, when you envision Zion, what does that look like? And what, what's one of the major ingredients we lack or need to build or, or really need to, to develop and mature if we're, if slash when we're going to really build Zion. Yeah. You know, I think Zion, as far as accomplishing Zion or or building Zion, I think a lot of it rides on the concept of acceptance. I have this great quote. I I have it on my wall here in my office uh, by Carl Rogers says, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. And I almost tweaked that Mm -hmm. like the curious paradox of when I realize Christ accepts me just as I am they don't want to change, mm-hmm. right? Because we sort of have these weird debates and discussion of acceptance. Like, well, 
I don't want to accept the people too much because then they think I'm condoning it and then they won't want to change. Like, no, no, no. Like this is the paradox. And we worship a, a God of paradox. When we feel accepted just as we are by a savior, then there's nothing else we want to do with change. But we have to take that step of, of acceptance. And, you know, the, the first principle of the gospel is faith in Jesus Christ. But I think that the first principle of the first principle is we have faith in Jesus Christ that he accepts us completely as we are. Even if we never change the rest of our life, he would love us just the same. And when I'm in that state, when I'm in a community where I'm seen and heard and accepted just as I am, then there's nothing else I want to do sure. but change. And, and that is designed to me as becoming an exalted people through the principle of, of unyielding acceptance. And that is, that's, that's the magic of, of the gospel. Like it, Jesus Christ is not some Harry Potter figure with wizard powers that he just w- w- waves a wand and the, the leprosy goes away. No, the power is that unabounding feeling of acceptance that no matter what I was suffering from this, this figure, this being just came to me and lifted me out of the trench. Like let's, let's spread that message throughout the community and learn how to do just the same. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. And in fact, it reminds me of an experience I had where I was at a men's retreat and and we'd gone through this process where we got to share some, you know, we we call it a a shame process. We got to share some of our, you know, I'm ashamed of this, you know? And, and when I finished, when we finished that, we just kind of stood in a circle and we just kind of put our arms around each other. And that instant, instantly the thought that came to mind was this is Zion. Mm -hmm. I'm not judging you. You're not judging me. We all got our dirt, Mm -hmm. but, but just the love, the unity, and to your point, the acceptance, zero judgment. And I, and I, I truly believe that, that as we love and accept others and help them see that they are loved and acceptable, then, well, you know, then, then yeah, I can, I can change. I can give up whatever it was because I was probably just doing that to get some attention and, and love and maybe test you to see if you really love me and can you accept me the way I am? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you do, then I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Awesome. Kurt, it's been a privilege. Love yeah, every minute. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Happy to, happy to chat with you and appreciate your time and, and um, wish you the very best as you continue to build your organization. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the One Heart Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and check us out online at oneheartonelight.org. concludes this episode of the leading saints podcast we'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments you can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us your perspective or questions if there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the leading saints podcast go to leadingsaints.org contact and share with us the information there and we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, to get on the email newsletter list, simply go to leadingsaints.org slash 14.